1: It's important we we'll look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence, and he clapped like a seal.
0: Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Planet Hollywood. I'm Paul Hutchin, the political editor of the Daily Record. Now, the Scottish Parliament is still in recess, but there's a big Scottish politics story brewing. Namely, a looming by election in Rutherglen and Hamilton West. The background to this is, of course, that the disgraced Margaret Ferrier, who was elected on an SNP ticket, was removed by local voters following lockdown breaches. Um, so, there's no date yet for the by election, but it's coming. I think we're pretty certain it's going to be in October. So, joining me this week is Michael Shanks, the Labour candidate in the constituency. And Michael, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Paul. Good to be here. And um, so what's the, the lie of the landline? What, what are you picking up on the doorsteps?
1: Well, we've been out for months now. We've spoken to about 20,000 people. I think we've we've surpassed that this weekend. Um, and we've been having loads of conversations about, obviously, about the recall petition, but really about people's concerns locally, nationally a real sense to be honest across the constituency of people just feeling really let down by politics. So obviously Margaret Ferrier as their MP, but beyond that, I kind of sense just that that we're kind of caught between governments that are are kind of a bit distracted and and um not focusing on people's priorities and just that kind of sense of people losing a bit of faith in politics. So it's been quite interesting to have those conversations with people. People are definitely keen on change, on on a fresh start for the area and, and as a start of a fresh start across the whole country. So that's that's what we've really been hearing on most of the doorsteps. The campaign's really only just started properly in, in the past week certainly the SP have have shown up to the campaign now and it's it's been good to to um to speak to people about, you know, particularly switching from from one party they'd supported for a long time to to now looking at Labour with a fresh a fresh look.
0: So can you just tell us a bit about your background, you know, where you come from, your professional career and why it Quite you want to be an MP.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, so I live in Rotherham. I started my my teaching career here as well as a high school teacher. I'm a modern studies teacher. Um, before that, I, I um, worked for a charity that worked with looked after children, and I, I was involved in projects to try and support uh, young people involved in offending behaviour to try and, and, and um, stop that behaviour, and then. Um, really that's that's my motivation generally for being involved in politics is working with young people um, who have really been failed by by governments over the past decade who you know far too many children are living in poverty far too many children don't have the life chances they should have education was this government's number one priority but it's really really clear before i became a teacher and certainly now i'm a teacher that that's not been the case at all Um, So really, um, I I want to be an MP because I think it's a real opportunity to bring this community together. Roligon and Hamlet West is a fantastic community. Um, It's got a lot of challenges, like the the country as a whole at the moment, from the cost of living crisis to uh, investment and services. But it's also got enormous potential. And I think being an MP is a real opportunity to bring the community together um, so that people can achieve their best um, all over this community.
0: Why would someone want to give up a, a decent job in teaching to enter the bear pit uncertain <laughs> world of politics?
1: I, I, I mean, in that question, I don't think you realise the bear pit that teaching is, maybe. Uh, so it's, it's switching one for another, maybe. But no, I mean, I, I thought long and hard about that because teaching is a, a, a fantastic job. Uh, I go to work every and day. I'm, I'm inspired by the young people in front of me. Um, not without its challenges either, but it's, it's fundamentally still an incredible uh, profession. But I think I've got something to offer beyond that. And I, I think a lot of the challenges I see in my classroom from children turning up with, with the obvious effects of poverty going on at home um, can only be fixed if we roll our sleeves up and try and change the political situation they find themselves in. And, and, and I hope I've got something to offer on that.
0: So the number one issue for daily record readers is the cost of living crisis. Mortgage bills are going up, inflation is still sky high, Um, electricity and gas bills, I think they've come down a bit, but they're still extortionate. Let's imagine you win and you're the next MP for the area. What are your priorities going to be in the cost of living crisis?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of different things. I mean, you're right, the cost of living crisis is affecting everybody across this community in different ways. Um, certainly, energy bills are still a major issue. Food inflation continues to be uh, a, an extreme challenge on, on people in this community. And, and mortgage bills are increasing and going to increase more. And so the, the starting point of that is resetting uh, our economic priorities. I, as, a, as a Labour MP, I would have a voice in the House of Commons on that, um, challenging the Conservative government who have just brought economic carnage across the country and continue to do so. Um, and, pe- and people know that that's the root cause of, of the, se- the cost of living crisis we have at the moment, that we've got a government not helping with the cost of living crisis, but actively making it worse. Um, but it's also about challenging the Scottish government, because people, of course, are, are stuck between two governments at the moment that are not alleviating the cost of living crisis. So it's challenging as a Scottish Labour MP, the government here as well, where they're not doing enough for um, the people who live in this constituency. I think there's also practical things we could do on a local level. So I see NMP as having a really important role in bringing together support services for people. So um, whether that is doing um, particular cost of living surgeries or particular support. I was at a really great event with some older people a few weeks ago that was about bringing together the, the different grants that are available that people just maybe don't know about. Um, so there's a real kind of community activist role there as well, which is is the kind of thing I'm particularly interested to get involved in, but challenging these decisions in the House of Commons as well.
0: Um, the first time I ever wrote about you was earlier this year. Uh, it was an old blog post from about 2019. Um, and I think to, to summarise it, you you left the party, I think, on the day of the European election. Could you just explain why you left and when you rejoined? Yeah, I think
1: um, people people might not appreciate this who aren't in political parties, but but when, when you're in a political party, it's a, it's like a second family almost. And it was an agonising decision to leave the party that I've spent most of my adult life as a member of. Um, but it got to a point where I couldn't, in good conscience, conscience support um, the, the the leadership of the party at the time on on a number of issues, but particularly around the party's handling of anti-semitism, I work, um, I volunteer as a trustee of an interfaith charity, I've spent years working with different faith groups, particularly around Christian and Jewish relations, and I know a lot of Jewish people, um, and they were genuinely hurt and scared by the the culture that had built up, and it wasn't being tackled by the leadership. So I took an incredibly difficult decision, a personal decision, because I understand other people took a different decision. Um, and I left the party and I rejoined uh, about a year later when, when Keir Starmer clearly in a very short space of time had, had got to grips with um, the, the the issues at the heart of the party and and I think to his huge credit in a very small space of time uh, he's turned around the party into being an incredible party of government again uh, doing really what uh, Kinnock Smith and Blair did in, in 15-odd years. He's managed to do in just a few short years, and it's a party I'm proud to be a member of, and very proud to be a candidate of. I
0: mean, a lot of Labour Party members were um, really angry about the party's handling of the anti-Semitism scandal. Some left. Right. What do you make of the argument that you could have stayed to fight, that it was maybe disloyal to to go and publicly quit in the way that you did?
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally understand that and I've spoken to a lot of party members who did that. A lot of my best friends uh, stayed and thought I did for a long time as well. Uh, but I found, um, I think I, I, it was a deeply personal decision and and I found that I've just found it very difficult to look um, people in the eye who who were Jewish and who genuinely couldn't um, understand why I would remain part of a party. that It wasn't that it was an issue in the party, it was that the party leadership at the highest levels were not tackling it and were... were um, didn't even see it as a major problem. So I took a personal decision to to leave the party over that, which was incredibly difficult to do. I don't hold against anybody who stayed to fight. And of course, now we, we see all across the country that party members are fighting to, to get the party back. It's a party that's on our campaign footing, that's ready and able to, to become the government of the country again. And ultimately, that's the point of being in the Labour Party, because um, labour can only make a difference to people's lives if we're in power and we have to win the election. The Conservative Party has failed this country for far, far too long. It's a scandal that we were not in a place to beat them at the last election, but we
0: certainly are this time, and that's the most important thing. Um, Now, just last couple of points on this uh, issue about leaving and then rejoining. One of the things you said in your blog post was, I realised I just couldn't put that cross in the box for Labour. That was the 2019 European election. So, who did you vote for in that election?
1: I, I didn't vote for anyone in that election. Uh, so, I did. I, I tell my kids at school who are who um, sometimes say, "What's the point in voting?" And I and I go through the every modern studies con- teacher in the country must go through this speech about why it's so important to vote matter who you vote for. And I always tell them if you don't want to vote for any of them, then you go you go and write something on your ballot paper because the candidates have to read the the rude comments that get written on the ballot paper. So I didn't write a rude comment, but I, I I spoiled my ballot paper.
0: And there was a general election a few months later. Jeremy Corbyn was still leading. Um, you know, you still hadn't dealt with the anti-Semitism scandal. Who did you vote for at the general? I didn't vote in that election. Um, and I take it for the last Scottish election, did you back in the Labour fold?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, was, I was happy to, I was proud to vote Labour again, because not only had the party started to turn the corner, but there were some genuinely great candidates standing, um, not just in my community, but across the country. And, and we had pretty quickly, um, first of all, the most important thing was recognise that anti semitism was a problem, because that was the, the first failing, in my view, was that we didn't even accept it was a problem. Um, and so accepting that, making a genuine apology to the Jewish community and moving on, I think um, made a huge difference. Um, look, the questions about my membership of the party, are, I understand, important to, to certain people. But see, when I'm out talking to people under those steps, uh, what people care about is what Labour going to do for them. And I think as much as this conversation might, might, might be um, relevant to some people, the big, big questions facing people are they want an MP that's going to stand up for them, an MP that's going to bring the community together again, that's going to fight their corner because they haven't had that for the past three years. Um, and they also at the moment don't have a government uh, in Edinburgh or in London that's that's got any cognizance of the challenges that are being faced by people on the ground today. That That's why I'm in the Labour Party. That's why I joined the Labour Party when I was 17, uh, and it's why I'm proud to be a Labour candidate in this election.
0: One of the issues you weren't happy about was Brexit. What do you make of Labour's current position, which is effectively closing the door on ever rejoining the EU?
1: No, I think w- w- the position that we've got to at the moment is that we need to reset our relationship with Europe because, you know, in, in um, I, I campaigned for Remain. I, I passionately believed in us remaining in the European Union, but we've left the European Union, And instead of trying to make that work for working people across the country, we've had a Conservative Party that has been distracted and and actively uh, trying to uh, derail what could be a a reset on a relationship with Europe. So Labour has said we need to reset that conversation so that we're working in partnership with Europe because we're, we're not competitors. There's a real opportunity for the United Kingdom to work with the european union and for the european union to work with the united kingdom and there's people up and down this country young people who are missing out on the opportunities to do erasmus and to travel in europe and uh, businesses missing out on opportunities you know we've, we've we've not made this work and i think we've got a real opportunity to do that but it needs a reset and it's definitely not going to happen under the conservative party and i think at the same time the SNP can talk Uh, as much as they like about how easy it would be for an independent Scotland to rejoin the European Union, as if that's the answer to all these issues. The reality is that nobody in the European Union has said at any point that Scotland would be able to join uh, the EU. Um, And so a vote for the SNP, a vote for independence um, would make that situation even worse, we'd still be out of Europe, but we would have even more of those challenges with borders, with trade by being out of the single market in the UK as well. So really, Labour is the only option here to reset that relationship with Europe and to genuinely move past the divisions of Brexit into a future where we have a good working relationship with our closest
0: trading partners. When you mentioned the word reset, in reality, would you like to see the UK and the EU have a closer relationship? Yeah, and
1: I think that's the natural point that we're at already. I mean, I think even the Conservatives uh, have reluctantly accepted that that's the only way forward. So absolutely, we, we we must have a closer relationship. In so many ways, it just makes logical sense. I mean, I, I still believe in the European project. I'm not going to change my views on that, but it, it equally uh, what we we can't do is just carry on this debate this division for so long and not actually make it work what we've got at the moment we've got like so many of these issues people have just got to be mature and get around the table and make these things work and it seems at the moment on this and on a whole range of other things we've just got governments that are far more interested in uh, creating division and creating uh, disagreement where there doesn't need to be, instead of just, just working hard to make something actually function for ordinary people who just want to get on with their lives and, and have a situation where we can trade, where we can travel, where we can do all the benefits that we, we had in a practical way.
0: One day, would you like to see the UK rejoin the EU?
1: Look, I, I think it's not a question for just now, but uh, I. I still see the UK as having a place in the European Union. So yes, I mean, if, if it got to a point where there was clearly a public appetite for the conversation again, um, I, I, I wouldn't be against us rejoining the European Union, of course not, because I have not changed my, my my principles on the idea that the European project is, is good for all of us. But I do think even that conversation becomes just such a distraction from actually making what we've got work just now. It's not what I wanted. It's not what the majority of people in Scotland wanted. Um, but actually, it's a situation that we can make work for us if we get on and make it work, instead of just trying to keep stoking the divisions of more and more and more referendums. We've had enough of that in Scotland.
0: Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y ycom These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do
1: your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com specialoffer special all lowercase. That's shopify.com specialoffer
0: special hmm. um, Two child benefits uh, policy. That's obviously been a big controversy over the last few weeks. Keir Starmer um, told Laura Kunzberg that uh, he wasn't going to change that conservative policy, You've been pretty clear on where you stand. You said that uh, you're against the two-child cap. You're you're against the bedroom tax as well. How did you feel when you heard Keir Starmer answer the question the way he did to Laura Koonsberg?
1: Well, I I mean, I I understand exactly where Keir's coming from with the the answer that we're going to face an economic mess from the Conservatives. and so his argument, I think, as, as someone who wants to be Prime Minister of a Labour government, is quite right to say that actually you can't just make unfunded spending commitments. So there does need to be, at some point, a recognition that we, we have absolutely no idea the economic situation that the Conservatives are going to pass over whenever the general election happens. Um, the, the economic mess that they have ruined in the country just in the past few years, it leaves the public finances in an absolute mess. And I think he's right as a responsible future Prime Minister to say, actually, we need uh, fiscal credibility on these issues. So personally, my views are that uh, as someone who who sees poverty and has done uh, in all the jobs that I've done, uh, it's it's a policy that needs to go. It's a policy Labour's opposed throughout, um, that dreamt up by a Conservative party that has no compassion for the poorest in our society and no thought for the poorest in our society. Um, That the SNP have made this an issue all about Labour. I've seen all these SNP MPs writing letters to Keir Starmer. The the fact of the matter is this is a Conservative policy. The SNP should be challenging the Conservatives on it and they should be using the powers they've got in Scotland to mitigate it in Scotland, and they've chosen not to do that. So I I think I'll I'll fight against it. I'll push um, within the Labour Party for that change because that's what Scottish Labour believes. But I think I also totally understand that to have fiscal credibility you need to be able to see where the money for these things is going to come from.
0: The next time Keir Starmer is in the, the, the Ruthergown-Hamilton-West constituency, will you raise the issue of the two-child limit with him personally?
1: I'm sure we will talk about it. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly when he's next in the constituency, but he'll, he'll be up here because, of uh, course, there's a crucial by-election and uh, Keir has made it very clear that he wants to, fight for a Labour government all across the United Kingdom, including in Scotland. So he will be back, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it will be raised with him.
0: If I was to ask an SNP candidate, if I was to say to her, who is your leader? She would say to me, Hamza Yusuf." Who is your leader? Well, I,
1: I think this is the interesting point I made at, at the campaign lunch, is that we are the Scottish Labour Party and proudly part of a devolved party and part of the United Kingdom party. The the SNP love to attack me for being part of the United Kingdom party as if I'm going to be insulted by the fact. The fact is I believe in the United Kingdom and therefore I'm very proud to be both a Scottish Labour uh, member and part of a wider United Kingdom Labour party. There's no contradiction for me there. Labour created the Scottish Parliament because we believed that it was time that different decisions could be taken on, on issues that were relevant in Scotland. While maintaining the the joint links and um, uh, across the whole of the United Kingdom, uh, the whole point of that was that we would make different decisions in Scotland. So it's not to me a, a surprise. It's the maturity of into the third decade of devolution that inevitably we're going to come to some different views on things. That's the whole point. It, there wouldn't have been any point setting it up if we all just took the same view. So Hamza Yusuf. Um, may well be Katie's leader. I mean, I think we've seen a lot of him speaking in this by-election so far, so it's very clear he's leading the campaign here as well. But I'm here as a Scottish Labour MP and uh, proud to then be part of a United Kingdom party, and to me that that isn't a contradiction.
0: No, no, of course. But if I was to ask Ed Miliband or Evet Cooper, if I was to say to them, "Who's your leader?" they would say Keir Starmer. So, in your view, who's your leader?
1: Well, they because they don't have a devolved situation in England, whereas we do in in Wales and in Scotland and in Northern Ireland. So it's a it's a very different setup. My leader's a Nasarwa, and I'm very proud he's the leader of the Scottish Labour Party. It's also Keir Starmer, and look, I I honestly don't think the public think about these things at all. I think the public see a Nasarwa and Keir Starmer as leaders of the Scottish Labour Party and the UK Labour Party, And, and and actually I think it's quite interesting. This is even a. A discussion because the, the public seem to understand devolution more than, and I'm not making that point about you, Paul, but generally the discourse on this surprises me a little bit because uh, the public have buried into this notion that you can have different approaches in Scotland and the rest of the United Kingdom on devolved issues and still retain those links across the whole of the UK. Uh, it just seems to be the political class that still likes to paint it as some kind of discord. Well, I, I just don't see it like that.
0: Just one reserved issue and um, that you'll probably have to deal with if you're elected in this Labour government and um, I read that uh, an incoming Labour government would continue to use barges for asylum seekers and um, for a period while they uh, consider a, a better solution. What's your um, reaction to that?
1: I mean, my reaction when I saw this story was that I actually saw the interview, and so the story is is absurd that has come out with that interview because what Stephen Kinnock very clearly said was that inevitably, on day one of our Labour government, we're going to inherit the situation that the Conservatives have left. You can't, within hours of taking uh, over in government, suddenly have a whole other solution in place and working. So Labour has consistently opposed every aspect of this approach to immigration, from the barges to the Rwanda flights, which is just a policy uh, that the Conservatives have implemented for political reasons rather than to actually solve the problem. And it's not solving the problem, it's it's, in fact the problem's getting worse. Um, So what Stephen Kinnock very clearly said in the very next part of the interview was, we will put in place another solution because we don't think the barges are the answer. But on day one, people are going to be living there, unfortunately, because this is a conservative policy that's been implemented. I think the the image of people in a country as as wealthy as ours um, living in barges is, is is awful. And I think it's right that we put in place a plan to reduce the number of migrants coming across the channel because it's an unsafe route for people to get here, um, but also to then treat them with some humanity when they're here. And that's, that's what Labour has said. But on day one, you, you can't just magic up another solution immediately.
0: Um, just wrapping up, Michael, a few quick-fire policy questions. Do you support the Scottish Labour position, which was passed at conference a few years ago, of opposition to Trident?
1: No, I'm, I'm supportive of uh, plans to bilaterally reduce our nuclear stockpile. I'd like to see a world free of nuclear weapons, but I think in the interim, I, I support uh, the, the Labour Party's policy on nuclear weapons.
0: Are you pro-life or pro-choice in abortion?
1: And pro-choice, and I think we should be doing. I know it's quick fire, but uh, I think we should be doing much, much more to, particularly um, buffer zones from from the protests that have been happening to to make it abortion should be something that's safe and rare at the same time. That women should feel safe when they when they're going through
0: that difficult process. Are you in favour of the principle of assisted dying legislation?
1: I'll be honest, I really, really struggle with this as an issue, as I suspect quite a lot of people do. I used to be be very, very opposed to it um, because I think there was a real issue around um, whether older people in particular would feel like they were a burden on society and that it might be misused. Um, and then I kind of changed my view a bit in the last few months. My my, my gran went through end-of-life care in the last few months and passed away. And uh, it was quite a horrible thing to see and she had virtually no quality of life at all, um, and so I've kind of. Ch- I, I think it's a changing position. I think it's it's going to come back to the Scottish Parliament soon. I think it's more likely to succeed this time than it has before. I'm not I'm not opposed to it, but I think um, it's one of those ethical issues. I think it's right that you usually has a free vote with with MPs' conscience. And
0: um, second from last question: Let's imagine you were in the, the fortunate position at Westminster to be able to introduce a private members bill, a chance of succeeding um, what subject would you pick?
1: I think for me so I, I've spent the last um, 20 years volunteering with a charity for disabled children I've, I've led the charity for the last 15 years and we we work particularly with um, you know disabled young people but also young adults and th- there's a real Inequality in our country, even now, for adults with disability going out into the workplace, far too few of them uh, are able to get employment that's fulfilling for them. Far too few of them are given the respite care that that, that they need. And so for me, there's a a real policy there working with colleagues in the Scottish Parliament, because some of this will be devolved, but across the whole of the UK to really improve our disability legislation. You know, Labour did a lot on that with the Disability Discrimination Act, but really it, it slid backwards. Uh, the progress for people with disabilities and that, that's kind of thing i'd like to champion and, uh, if i did become an mp
0: final question michael Um, if there is a labor government one of the tricky issues is going to be what happens to the gra legislation um, that was passed by Holyrood. Because effectively you'll have a court battle between the scottish and uk governments what would you like the uk government to do if it wins and it finds itself essentially leading on this court battle
1: well, I think the Labour Party is united on reforming uh, the Gender Recognition Act because it is out of date and it doesn't treat trans people with the equality and the and the care and compassion that they deserve as a, as a particular um, minority in our society. I, I think this whole debate is actually symptomatic of what's wrong with our politics at the moment because it's become toxic on both sides. And actually the... The genuine heart of the issue is masked by a culture war that, that's been stoked by the Conservative Party because they've got nothing to offer the country. But it's it, the repercussions are really quite significant. I mean, I work in a school with, with kids who are going through all sorts of um, transitions in their identity as, as teenagers do, but some who are really, really um, finding it very difficult to find their place in this whole debate because it just seems so toxic on both sides. And it's heartbreaking to see kids really emotionally break down over it. Um, I, I supported the the uh, Scottish Labour's position on it. The bill is is not as good a bill as it could have been. It's flawed in so many ways and that's why it's now tied up in the courts. It's why Labour put forward so many amendments to it, some that were accepted but the vast majority that were rejected by the SNP. I, there's part of me that can't help but feel like it was deliberately led down that way because they knew it would lead to some division with, with the UK government and that's Instead of getting around the table and having a mature conversation about trying to work out the legislation that could work in both jurisdictions, we've we've just got uh, something that's now tied up in the courts. So I'd like to... I
0: imagine you're an MP, Michael, and there's a Labour government. Someone asks you, Look, do you think that the Labour government should drop the legal case that was initiated by the Tories? What would your view be?
1: Well, I think the key thing with that is that the... the should have got round the table to work out how the bill could work. So I mean the legal case I think is now coming in the next few months. So I, I suspect it will be the Conservatives that will pursue it. These kind of cases should never end up in the Supreme Court. I mean the Supreme Court should be the absolute court of last resort for these disputes because devolution should work in a way where even if you've got parties of different um political parties in, in the government, they should be able to get around the table and say, here's what we want to do, how do we make that work? Clearly that hasn't happened in this case and in a whole load of other cases so we end up in the courts um and that's no way to make legislation but i think the broader question is this is yet another example of smp legislation that is just badly written the principle of it isn't wrong i mean there's a lot of principles that i would support but when it comes to actually writing the legislation and the detail of how you implement policy the smp just shut their ears to to genuine opposition and push through bills that it then end up in the courts. We see it. I used to work for a children's rights charity, and uh, we we campaigned for years on the UNCRC incorporation, and it's still not happened because mm-hmm. yet again it's tied up in the courts. That that's just a failure of government to kind of grow up and and get on with the day job. And so I think there's a there's a real role there for trying to build a, a relationship between the devolved assemblies where actually. Um, people get things done instead of just finding division.
0: But if it was live, still a live issue in the courts, and as a Labour government, would you like Labour to drop the court challenge and then maybe have discussions with the Scottish government? about the working I, I don't know. It's a
1: hypothetical because I don't know at what point the court case would be at that point. I mean, I think I, I would hope we wouldn't have, have mounted a court challenge if it hadn't. But I, I mean, it could be so far into it by that point that it would be... Um, You know, I I don't know, I'm not going to answer the hypothetical on it. What I do think is, on the fundamental issue, the whole of the UK party is united on reforming the Gender Recognition Act. There's key elements of that that we are united on across the party. There's elements that we have uh, taken a different approach in Scotland to the rest of the UK. I'll continue to push my colleagues on some of those things. Um, But the bottom line is I'll be voting for if Labour... um, becomes the Government Agenda Recognition Act that reforms all the key things we've said need reforms in Scotland as well. It might not go as far as I'd like, but it certainly goes a lot further than what we have at the moment and what we would ever get under the Conservatives. And I think just on that last point, I think it's really disappointing to see the Conservative candidate who I'm not sure has even set foot in Rutherglen, yet every time I see him, he's been interviewed in, in Glasgow. Um, but stoking division on this issue, when actually he he very recently said that he was uh, supportive of uh, reforming the the Gender Recognition Act and giving trans people more rights, I think stoking that kind of division in a by-election just to try and get some airtime, I think is really really demeaning of our political process. And it's what I was talking about at the very beginning. It's why people just feel this sense of frustration with politics, because instead of people being grown ups and getting on with the issues, we've just got people stoking these culture wars for no other reason than because they need some attention from to distract from their failing government. I think it's time for for a fresh start and 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 an opportunity to be serious about some of these difficult policy issues.
0: Well, listen, um, thanks, Michael. Um, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Um, Very much appreciate you joining us on Planet Hollywood today. No doubt when the the by-election is fully um, up and running, I'll be sticking a tape recorder in your face at some place in the seat. Um, But I hope to see you again soon. uh, Outside of Rutherglen, the podcast will be available on Wednesday morning. Anytime.
1: uh, That'd be great, Paul. Thanks so much. Yes, indeed. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped
0: like a seal. (laughs)